Amaris Jones mm -hmm. here today. Thank you so much for coming. You were referred by Michael Hanablu. Oh, I love who Michael. Who was uh, one of our guests. And uh, I asked him who some of his favorite women chefs were in Miami. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you were the first thing that came out of his mouth. And so then I did some research. And I was excited just to kind of meet you and get to know your story. Um, because obviously... You have a passion and you also have an intelligence that is admirable because I noticed just recently like some of the quotes that you share are really impressive. Oh, like really? Abraham Hicks. Like, oh, yeah. Do you know about a Abraham no, Hicks? No, I wanted to know about him too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but we, don't, we only have... Uh... That, might be fr that might freak some people out. So I don't know if they're ready for that, but it's really <laughs> pretty awesome. Okay. We'll get to him later. But um, for now, Amherst Jones. So what I know about you is a celebrity chef. Uh, here in Miami mm -hmm. and grew up in Philly area, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess we can bring it back to the start of why cooking is your passion. So do you remember, was it your family or your mom or like how did, what was one of your first like food love experiences? I think one of my very first food love experiences was um, my mother had a, a cousin, her name was Cousin Frances and she was like a, a mother figure to my mom. I mean like a grandmother to me. And I think the first true memory of having a love for the kitchen was being in her kitchen. I was like eight years old and she would have me shuck the corn and literally have her, like she would have me fry corn over this cast iron skillet and bacon fat. And the smell and the ambiance just always just blew me away. Her whole kitchen, she was a dynamic, one of the best cooks in our, in our family. And that's really when I just drew a love for just creating um, food. You know, I would see the joy that she would bring to my family by just cooking these really amazing down-home Southern meals in Philadelphia and how, like, it was literally the talk of the week to go to her house. It was literally the anticipation to go to Cousin Francis's house for dinner was like the biggest thing ever. So I think that's really where it began. And then it trickled to um, just my father's church, my mother, of course, at home, cooking at home. Um, my father's church was on in South Philly, one of the first black owned storefront churches in Philadelphia um, in the seventies. And we would raise money for the church by selling dinners like on Friday nights, Friday and Friday nights and Saturday mornings, and I would help the women in the church cook. So that's where it. it that's where you began. started. That's where action. I started. Yeah. yeah, and then my mother was a sci a scientist and a microbiologist. My dad was a minister, and um, at a very young age, I mean, sometimes she would have to work some late hours, and I would go into the kitchen at eight, ten years old, and, and make spaghetti dinners for the family. Well, she, you know, because she may not get home till like eight o'clock at night. So I would come home from, you know, school and, and start cooking. And it wasn't like she made me do it. She, I just, just had a love for doing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, to serve is one of the greatest honors. And so when you find that you have a skill to the, that you can bring to the table, literally, like you're cooking to the table. Um, so what, what defines soul food? That's what I was, I was kind of curious. Like what, what is that one element? Like what, what would you say defines soul food? Um, Traditionally, soul food, the, the, the name soul food was coined um, actually in the 60s, right during the um, civil rights movements, 
Um, James Brown actually coined, he's one of the people that coined that name with the, the civil rights movement. It was pretty much a celebration of Southern cuisine, food that we brought or enhanced in, in America during slavery. And we wanted a cuisine that we could call our own. And he started to, he coined it soul food, soul anything, soul music. He coined, he coined all of that. Um, it was one other person too, but I feel like soul food is just food that just really speaks to your spirit. Food that really brings joy to your heart when you take a bite. I think that's what soul food okay. is. And then and within soul food, is there a core few spices that are used usually for, is that, or it really doesn't matter? It's more about just putting the heart into things. It's it's putting your heart in, but it's really it's 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 about a lot of spices. It's about right. just putting flavor into the food. Just really making sure that there's a layers of flavor um, in the food. You know, it's not just salt and pepper. There's you know all these onion powder and garlic and and turmeric and and allspice and just you name it. You know. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, when I make my chili, it's uh, there's probably like. 15, 20 different spices that I use. Oh, I heard your chili uh, was pretty famous. Yeah, so it's um, kind of but, funny. The reason that we're doing this a little earlier on a Sunday is because Amaris cannot eat tomatoes recently. Well, I don't, I don't even know what... <laughs> I took this microbiome um, test. Um, it's a gut test. It, it tests your, your gut bacteria, yeah. and it came back where I'm not really supposed to have raw tomatoes or anything tomato-based. What about, what about cooked tomatoes in a chili? I don't know. I just haven't done it. It just says tomato. It says organic tomatoes, so I'm assuming that's raw or cooked. I've done some ketchup here and there, but okay. So do you I feel just, a whole lot better after not doing tomatoes? Or? I really don't know. And it came <laughs> back. It came back like I can't have chickpeas. I can't have lentils. I can't have. Apparently, all of these things are toxic to my belly. Can't have pork. Okay. Um, so and, and it's all the things that I thought, except for the pork. All the things that were really I thought was really healthy for my for my digestion and my body were up apparently not digesting. <laughs> so well, sometimes you have to rely on science to make yourself aware of things. Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of like a, I I do feel a difference because um, I I eat a lot of uh, chickpeas and I put a lot of chickpeas in a lot of recipes and I've, I've eliminated them a lot and I do feel a bit of a difference. Um, I really wish I could have my tomatoes back because... Oh, those are so core to like a whole plethora of dishes. So and, many and dishes that I, I cook, you know, for my clients and my friends. And and it's just, it's a shame because I, I can't take the I think you should bring that bite. one back. I think you should bring that one back. And then you can come back for a chili night another time. <laughs> we'll come back for a chili night. I mean, you know what? I was like looking for a substitute, like what I could substitute like tomatoes with. And I found that you could do it interestingly with papaya. Okay. Like a papaya sauce instead of tomato sauce. Okay. I saw. I found a recipe, and I'm. I'm just gonna try it when I one day, and and see how it tastes. Yeah, it's but a it's just really now. it's really different though. It's really <laughs> tomatoes were that like like I mean avocados and tomatoes go hand in hand obviously, but they're that's what the one thing that Europeans brought back to to Europe mm -hmm. and just transformed Italy's cooking, you know, Spain's cooking. Yeah. You know, they found it in Mexico area, I think. I mean, I'm I'm no historian, but I know it was discovered here initially. Uh, in the Americas, um, but anyhow, about food, regarding food, so so back to the story, so you were cooking for the fam, um, like how did you, like what was one of your first like official jobs in the cuisine industry? In like a professional job or yeah, just, yeah. you know, I think it was when I opened my restaurant. 
Okay, you just straight up open. I straight up, you know, that's exactly my first. Because I wasn't catering. Like, I would cook for people all the time, but I wasn't, like, making money from it. You know, I would have these dinners and these, um, do these brunches at my house. And people would just show up because they knew I had food at my house. Um, but I wasn't getting paid for it. Um, but it literally wasn't until I opened South Street in 2011, I believe. Yeah. That's when I really considered it like a full-time, just another career jump. Because prior to that, I, I had a lifestyle management company and I was like managing um, like celebrity homes and doing all these concierge work and brand management and consulting with media companies. Um, I was doing that kind of work. Um, but it wasn't until I opened South Street that I really honed in on the craft. Okay, and South Street was in Miami? Yes, it was here. It was in a design district. Um, right on the corner of 40th Street, where the first post, one of the first post offices, is a historical building, um, right next to the Moore Building. It was a beautiful restaurant, great experience. Yeah. And so that's a bit. So that you were inspired to do that from obviously catering to you know high taste and within your lifestyle management. Yeah. Um, and how did you get into that whole world? Well, what the lifestyle management? Yeah. Well, I had um, I was. Prior to that, I was a regional property manager for a really big real estate investment trust company. Um, so I've been working in real estate and, and property management for like a long time. That's actually how I got to South Florida. I had a job transfer and um, I was managing all these buildings and, and the company decided to sell to another company. And that's when they did a huge layoff. And I just happened to knew, know somebody that knew Sean Combs, which is Puffy. Um, and they said, you know, you know, you're used to managing these big, you know, tall skyscraping buildings, these resident, you know, these, you're managing like, I literally would have like 30 or 40 employees working under me, um, managing the, these properties. And he said, would you be able to manage like a, just like a celebrity home? And that's literally how I fell into the business. And I started working for him. For Sean Combs? For Puffy, yes. Okay. Yeah. And what's the most challenging part of managing a lifestyle? Like what is the... It's just it's just it's fast paced and there's no schedule. <laughs> well there is a schedule now. Right, sometimes it changes really fast. Dude, this, this, it's up that's to their that, whims, that's right? what I mean. There's no schedule. It's just like up to you know, you could call me at five in the morning for, for something's going on, but it was literally but it was really it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but it can be demanding. It was. It's really no structure. Like it wasn't a like a structured nine to five yeah. type of gig yeah. ever. Um, but it was fun. Okay, so you started, you know, managing events, managing brand partnerships, all of that stuff. Yes. Um, and the food. So it was did they start? Did you start noticing that like the food part you really excelled at? It was interesting because I would because part of the job as a lifestyle manager is I would hire chefs to come and cook for these clients. And I would always find myself like in the kitchen with the chefs. Oh, yeah. And I would like, I was so intrigued by just their methods. And they, and I just, I love that they were making everybody happy. Everyone wanted to be around the chefs. Everybody, because it was just, it was food. And food just brings everyone together, you know. Great conversations, deals are being made over a great meal. It was, and I just always, like, I would be in my office in, in Sean's house and, 
And I would just find my way into the kitchen to chat with the chef because I love food and I love watching their methods. Um, and then I were placing these chefs like with all these different clients and it turned into like a concierge service that I was yeah. doing. But that's literally how I, and I would always think, hey, I could, I could do that. It's like something really interesting. It's like, and I love food. So I'm literally self-taught. I've never been to culinary school. So you're just literally watching the best do what they do. Absolutely. And, okay, so you're watching the best. And speaking of that, it's Women's History Month, right? How can we get more women chefs, like, in these awesome restaurants? Like, I feel like, do you agree that there's, like, an imbalance currently? Or, like, what would you say? It's always been an imbalance. And I, we just have to, we have to, I think women, I think these operators and the operators of the restaurants really, really have to just, recruit the women because there's tons of talent out there and and make the environment comfortable for women to be in because sometimes in the back of the house can be very it's like it's almost like military back yeah. there you know um but i feel like if operators and restaurant owners really made just women or people just comfortable and just let them be creative and let them you know run the show we would have a lot more Right. Um, women back there. Um, it's really weird how it's just, but it's definitely a male-dominated industry, and I I want that to change yeah. for sure, for sure. I think it's yeah, it's a it's part of it's just like pointing it out and being like, you know, just like a lot of other industries have a focus on you know equality, you know, also bringing that to the cuisine industry with the people who make those decisions. Yeah. And then then more women will see, feel like there's opportunity as well. I think you're right that the, even the environment in the kitchen has to kind of the environment in the kitchen has to change a little bit because it can be it can be you know challenging. Especially if you're if you're like outmanned like literally like you know right. you're like you're like the one woman chef and there's like and you have to hold your own. You're in there. I'm like a whole other person when I'm in back of the yeah. house in my restaurant. I lit. I had to because I had to. I felt like I was proving myself all the time, and you know these are cooks i mean they've been cooking there like for 20 and 15 years i'm just opening this restaurant they're trained in paris they're you know and they're looking at me like oh she's just you know oh, yeah. and i will always have to like prove myself you're the owner they don't care okay. they don't care so you're back there and how many... i'm like i own the kitchen and i'm like i own the restaurant and they're like <laughs> well how many of your staff was women versus men was it still more men with you back and then and then yeah like and i would hire as many women as possible for back of the house to work with me and they would come and go and come and go there's a few that stayed um but it wasn't really i wasn't even getting that many applications to hire like you would i would put in an ad and all the resumes would be men and i'm like what is this so it's not just at the decision making level you were a woman you had a restaurant and you had a hard time keeping the women strong in there so that means we gotta motivate more women to. We have to motivate. Love cooking, you know. They love cooking, but yeah. motivate them. To, I don't even know if they want to see it as a potential career. Basically. Yes, I don't even know if we want. I think I don't know if they, why they hold back from applying for for these type of jobs. Where the intimidation is because there's so many strong women. Oh, I know. My mom is a great chef, and she like inspired I mean, we're, me. I mean, we are it for sure. Well, I mean, we're yeah, running traditionally, the world. <laughs> running the world, running the kitchen as well, and you know. Like that's that's always amazed me that that didn't hasn't transferred into the corporate or, or, or the yeah. like the high end space and I think it's really a mindset shift um, that you know you actually have a special role to play here because you know as a celebrity chef you can kind of 
inspire more women to to kind of pursue that full time mm-hmm. and really express themselves within that art form. Mm-hmm. Um, have you picked up any like uh, many mentees? Like, do you mentor any women chef? Have you considered doing a bit more of that? I do. I have um, some interns that were had graduated from Johnson and Wales University. Really talented um, young ladies that I've I've been working with for several years, and they're. Just one, I think she's in St. Croix now, working in the kitchen, a really great restaurant. Another one, I think she's in Italy now doing an internship. Um, but I try my, like, that's the first thing I look for um, are women cooks and chefs that want to work with me. I always, I literally seek, I seek them out more than they seek me. Yeah. I'll, like, call the school, see yeah. who's graduating, who's out there. Um, and I just always have so much fun with my sisters. Yeah. No, it's supposed to be fun. I love cooking. It also is like just therapeutic for me just to like mm-hmm. sometimes if, if everything else goes to shit, like you have your 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 cooking, your dish, your activities and so Absolutely. It's like kind of like a it's kind of like meditation in the morning. It's like meditation in the morning, afternoon, cook and like t- have that productive activity for yourself. Um and I think with COVID more and more people are embracing that, I think. And and I think some of us just need more inspiration and also need to just realize that it's so good for us, and 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 what I loved is I saw you. You said there was three. You had three key, um, three key pointers about appreciating food, and I think number one was <clears throat> pray, mm-hmm. pray over your food, be thankful. Like pause for a second before you dive in, and I like to say this line called I think it's called ara ashibu. I don't know. I read it somewhere, but it means in I think Japanese or Korean it means like eat until like, eat, leave a little space at the end. Like mm-hmm. don't eat till you're literally mindless and, and bloated. As like, my grandmother would say, save some for others. Yeah. My, <laughs> she used to say that all the time. She said, you don't have to eat the food plate. Save some, we'll give it to, we'll give it to somebody, but save some for that. Meaning don't. Yeah. Like don't. like leave. Overindulge. Because then you get in a, a mode of just like shoveling food into yourself without appreciating it. But if you're like, you know, I'm actually going to feel if I'm done here yet. I mean, I can't say that I always and faithful to that you know it's a good thing to strive for but i at least try to like pause for a second before diving in number two was really like being mindful on the nutritional value of your meals meaning like i'm eating this this has xyz this has carbs and protein because i need to go work out later or i mm-hmm. this is my in my schedule of my week this is what my body needs right now this this protein because i just did a big workout like just being mindful of the like fat carb and protein like ratio for what you need going forward so uh, for example I used to cook this awesome or I cooked this really awesome salmon and veggies dish and I would go dance salsa afterward but I realized like my veggies dish had like no carbs in it it was like it was like basically baked like broccoli carrot like um, it used to have uh, asparagus and mushrooms and onion whatever but there was like no carbs so finally I was like why don't I add potatoes in there like I need some potatoes like I need to go running tomorrow morning so anyway, just be mindful of like, maybe you're missing protein or you're missing carbs. But anyway, that was something you said. Third was... You uh, did your research. Was go go do research on the farms <laughs> and, and the bakeries and the places that you get your, your produce. Like you were like, go actually travel to these places and experience it. And, and I think especially chefs like kind of pursue that. But I think one thing that people can do is is find out, okay... I like having a little piece of bread with this meal. Who has the best baguette in town? Who has the best bagel in town? So I kind of found all that stuff out in Miami. And I think it's just like... Who has the best uh, baguette in town? You tell me. Okay. So for sourdough baguette, um, it's, I, I'm, it's, it's not... It's, I'm French, so it's, I can't... 
Oh, it's sad, but it, it is. No, I love Zach. Zach the baker has amazing stuff, um, and I like sourdough baguette. So like he does a good one. Um, but I'll, I'll I will say the best everything bagel in town is toasted bagelry. They're awesome. Um, the best pita bread in town. There's one day I had. A, I know a, the guys that toasted. Hello. Yeah. The, the best, Those are my peeps. Okay, they're awesome. I love yeah, they're so great. I share them with everybody. So the pita bread is funny. I, one day I was like, you know, I'm, I don't want to keep making mistakes. I want to find out who has the best pita bread in town. And I think it was like, it was like uh, Cinco de Mayo or something. I literally ordered Postmates from like every single place. Pita bread, pita bread, pita bread. <laughs> it, it was, I went around like 10 places and then I like voted and I was like, okay, best Middle Eastern food is like this market and they make this, this fresh doughy pita bread that's just amazing. So Where I, is it? Um, I think it's probably near Little Little Havana. Okay, that's the Oriental Market on on Coral yes. Way. Yes, you have to ask them to bake it for you. Otherwise, sometimes they'll give you the generic store. But I've been going to that place for twelve years. See, all the chefs know about the best. Yeah, I mean, and the woman she's been there for forty something years. Her and her son run the place. If you want the best spices that are from the Middle East or anywhere in that region. Go there. Yes. Go there. And, and like it's the best. And then they have also halal meat that you can buy. It's in their freezers. Yeah. It's like the coolest. It's on Coral Way off a of third, close to Little Havana in the roads. I used to live in the roads. So that's why yeah. I know that place so very well. Here's the secret behind great bread and bakers. Bread freezes very, very well. And it takes time to make and be careful about. So, for example, best margarita pizza in town. Obviously, La Legenda which if you haven't tried you should go it's he's straight from napoli he was one of the first podcast guests and i basically freeze his pizza and then like sometimes on a saturday i'll have like a little mini i don't think i've had his eighth of a slice Mm. oh you're gonna be so excited because he has this special salt from italy that's like it cures hangovers it's it's incredible so i it cures hangovers yeah it does like if you have enough are you sure no it's just you need water and salt to like cure a hangover so yeah it's like one of the secrets but Anyway, I have I freeze this pizza and I keep it and I when I and I put it in my toaster oven and it's just as good, and that's the secret about breads. And so, what's the last criteria? Okay, croissant definitely Zach. I'm sorry if I was less than enthusiastic about this. Oh, we love I love Zach. The chocolate croissant, Zach the baker, you are the best, absolute best. And so, what else? Uh, what I have about one more. Oh, I uh, naan because I cook an amazing Indian meal and uh, I compliment it with naan from uh, Cash over here. Um, and so I basically outsource my breads because I think that stuff it really is, you know, unique and, and it takes time. And so, um, but I love focusing more on, on the grill. So speaking of your cuisine, so, um, South street, that was inspired by obviously Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were the core dishes there that you The kind of core brought? dishes, um, were the fried chicken, um, uh, there was a smothered turkey chop that I would do because I didn't serve pork in the restaurant. Okay. And that was based on um, just celebrating the food that I grew up on in Philly. Um, a lot of the restaurants, a lot of the soul food restaurants, they did away with pork um, because of the, you know, just there's big Muslim community in Philadelphia and they just didn't eat pork. And it was a, they were like missing out on a big part of the population as far as like consumers were concerned. So they would literally just take it off the menu. And they would replace pork chops with turkey chops. So I was the only restaurant in Miami that served that. And my meat purveyor would say, like, I was like, can you take a turkey breast and and, and chop it for me with bone in this way? And he would say, what? And (laughs) and I'm like, because I said, I wanted to look like a pork chop. I said, I need turkey chops. 
and they would deliver them to South Street. And he said, you know what? This is the most amazing thing. He said, you're the only restaurant that does this. And that was one of our staples. Okay. The, the turkey chop, the, um, the fried chicken. Um, my kale salad was a, a big hit. I had a kale and quinoa salad. That was like a huge thing. Um, there's a lot of staples there. The grilled green tomatoes. 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 <gasps> I know. And when I was Maybe still eating tomatoes. tomatoes or... Yeah, they were grilled green tomatoes. They were super yummy. Um, lamb chops, super famous. Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking of salad, I said you have a great website, by the way. With the uh, first thing comes up is like awesome quotes from you know great people, yeah. and I love the one about like like compare the Caesar salad like like oh, when, when, salad. when the movie theater lights go out or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great quote. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Rick Ross. That so, was I think he yeah that was his quote. <laughs> God bless Rick. So speaking of that, so you transitioned from so was there a story there of you transitioning from the restaurant to be more like a chef for Rick Ross? Yeah, or? well I um the, we closed the restaurant closed the restaurant and once I closed the restaurant I literally got a call not even three months later um, from the corporate heads of Reebok the sneaker company and they said hey you know you know we, we know that you have you're a chef and you have a restaurant but you'd be willing to do some personal dinners or uh, meal plans for an artist named Rick Ross um, because we're doing this fitness program and we really want to you know help him and that's literally how it happened and that's how i met him and i ended up working with him for i'm still working with him and that was in 2000 wow so reebok called you and picked you for some like how do you why do you think they picked you out of everybody <laughs> i'm avarice i don't know okay. it just happens i mean the universe was one of them I, must have eaten at a restaurant just aligned like... you know it was really a blessing just they just called me and um they knew i was in south florida he was in south florida and that we just made it happen and literally it was me going there I did I remember doing a tasting for him just to see if he liked my food and and I just changed some like your your typical soul food ingredients I, I, I changed them to make them a little bit more healthier and I worked with him for the first three years he lost 80 pounds I mean, just changing that's really, his diet that's, that's a lot that's changes how he feels completely it's like yeah and, and so were you really nervous when you were making the first like taster sample? Oh yeah, because I was like, I did like instead of mashed potatoes, I would do mashed cauliflower, um, things like that, and instead of using pork um, with the greens, I would just make them vegetarian, collard greens, or or add smoked turkey. And he just, I mean, the very first time he bit into my food, he was just like, wow. Yeah. He's like, okay. And you were experimenting too. Like, were these like yeah. dishes you never made before? Well, some of the dishes, you know, I've traditionally I've made, but then I was like playing with the recipes because I wanted to make it more, like, just healthier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, cauliflower mash was not a thing for me. Right. Um, and that was like in 2014, 13. He loved it. And, you know. Yeah. So, really what cool. is that like to be a chef for. Like a celebrity like that are you is it like a full-time job or are you just coming in and out it, it depends on who you're working with um with that it was an everyday after workout meal breakfast lunch and dinner so you're staying at this place in the kitchen i was you know yo, yeah all day um and then it transitioned to um just me coming you know on by need basis after you got the weight down um 
but with clients, I have a lot of like different clients like that. And it depends. Sometimes I do it by contract basis, six months to a year. Um, and I have chefs that work for me or under me. And if I can't be there, I'll send them. And they, they're probably, they're versed on the cuisine that I, you know. Um, but working with families and, and these, it's really a joy. Um, and, you know, sometimes some families are extremely, they have their diets that you have to follow. And sometimes it kind of like, blocked your creativity and and that can be a little tough but other than then a lot of them they like you to be creative as well sometimes they'll say oh just surprise me yeah it's like a balance between being disappointed and i'm not not when you have a celebrity chef like you but trying new things versus routine so i i'm kind of like sometimes i kick myself for being so routine in my meals but like i've kind of evolved them over years where i like i just love these dishes so much Mm -hmm. that that i don't have to think about it right and i just cook it and it makes me happy and it gets me moving Mm -hmm. but at the same time sometimes i'm like you know it would be nice to get like a a weekly newsletter from amaris where i can try something new Mm -hmm. this week (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing because i think i think creativity is like the highest form right self-actualization but like it, it's still it, baby steps, right? I think it's important to start with a few dishes that you really love and getting them right and then, you know, getting them in your routine very, you know. Some of my favorite dishes I basically discovered by eating out and um, being like, wow, how do they make that? And then moving somewhere else mm-hmm. where I can't get it anymore. Is that how you, like, how do you, what's your... I like, mean, it's kind of like what I do. I mean, I'm inspired by so many different restaurants. Um, but I'll eat something and just like, for instance, I just did this. Um... I was in LA before the pandemic hit and there's a restaurant called Craig's. It's an old school staple restaurant. It's been there for years. Um, and they had this truffle chicken that they do. And I loved it so much. I was like, I need to recreate this. And I did, I recreated the recipe. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what the recipe is, but I recreated it based yeah. on what I tasted when I was at that restaurant and I put it on a menu here um in miami so it's on the menu at a restaurant called bar one which is oh, you just put it you told them to put it on there so you can get it from them or, or... i did it well i was consulting with the restaurant oh, i helped them okay. put the, the menu together um so i there's about seven or eight of my dishes on that menu right now and the truffle chicken was inspired by me eating out right somewhere um but i do that all the time you just you know you take something and um, and just recreate it the best way you can, you know? Yeah. So, so right now you're, you're the restaurant closed and you're, so currently you're still working with Rick, Rick Ross? Um, yes. And some other clients some as other well. Clients. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're basically so busy that you couldn't even be running your own restaurant, right? Well, I was going to reopen a chicken restaurant. I've been working on, I have this, this pop-up called Chicken Jones and I've done it several times at Panther Coffee. I've done it at Soho House at Jaconi's. Um, I've done it, um, in the design district at OTL, um, and I keep doing them like every other month and eventually I will find a brick and mortar and and open a fast casual chicken place. Right. That's like a whole other commitment. (laughs) It is. So I've been kind of (laughs) like, I literally, cause they're like, how come your chicken place isn't open yet? Cause it's a lot of work. I'm like, I'm chilling right now. I'm like, (laughs) let me just do my thing and take my time. And you know, I've got investors that have came to me and partners that wanted to partner with me and I just 
and it's always somebody or it's somebody that kind of like just kind of like wants to change your menu or and I'm like I'm not looking at for that type of partnership right. so I'm just taking my time and being strategic on the type of partner I want to work with um and it takes some, you know, hey, I don't care that it, it took three or four years, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll open when I'm ready. Yeah, well, maybe that's not for you. No. I mean, what, what do you think is, like, your purpose, like, uh, in the whole world of, of food? Like, where do you, what do you think you can make the biggest difference? I think um, just, I think I can make the biggest difference by just going back into the brown and black communities in the neighborhoods that I grew up in and that I, I'm familiar with and just helping people, um find a different way to eat. I said, right now we're living in this, this pandemic and, and, and it really, really an age where people really have to be careful on how they cook their food, what they're eating. Um, and I just want our communities to um, thrive. And I want our communities to be able to get organic vegetables and, and, and meats and it to be available for them because um, a, a lot of these communities are kind of like food deserts you know they the whole foods is like five to ten or twenty miles out there's no organic oh, yeah. markets so and true. just like it's ridiculous um we just uh, need a lot more um organic food available in our, our neighborhood so I think that's so right yeah so maybe that can be something you can work on is is you know just that's almost political push. Like, yeah. it's like a, it's a big deal, obviously, to well, kind of promote I, that. But. Yeah, I'm, and I'm putting, you know, I've been testing some CBG, um, CBG. I mean, yeah. There's CBD, CBG. There's all this. CBG. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah. testing some products that I want to put out in the market that are just organic, like some spices and some sauces and things that want it to be available in these neighborhoods, so people have some choices and it's not make it affordable, you know. Um, I, I love the way that Trader Joe's has been able to price their their food um, for consumers, but we need more of those type of restaurant. I mean, those those grocery stores in these actual in these neighborhoods, not just far right. and few in between. You know, um, so. Oh, you're so right. Like that's like that's number one why America might have a problem with health, which is like absurd to think about, right? Mm -hmm. When we're so you know we're we're so fortunate here. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, where are these good supermarkets? Like, where's, like, is it even possible to cook this kind of good food, like in the middle of nowhere? Like sometimes it's not. So it's like, it's, it's definitely one of our challenges in America is, is to kind of make right. healthier choices more available. Right. Um, cause it's so much easier for a chain like Burger King or McDonald's to just like open up where people know mm -hmm. they'll be vulnerable, you know, cause they're passing by and they're just going to take it for dinner cause they're busy and they're working hard. And, and it's like, no, like maybe they also have responsibility. I think they do. And I think to, to make organic. Right. Food I think they're, they're getting there. I think they're because people are demanding it. And that's another reason why Chicken Jones has been taking so long to really, really launch is because I've been researching ingredients and I've changed the oil three times. I've changed the flour four times. I've changed because I really want to if I'm going to do fried food, it's going to be a little healthier than your, your yeah. typical, um, you know, chicken joint, you know. Like it's definitely, and I have to have other options available for people and it has to be affordable at the same time. So, you know, if, and I'm known for this, I'd make the best fried chicken in the world, by the way. Wow. Statement. <laughs> <laughs> I've been perfecting this recipe for a long, long time. And there's a, there's turmeric in it. There's some really great ingredients. Have you entered any competitions with it? I have not. I don't know. I don't. 
You don't, you don't, you, you don't even need to, you're not curious. A competition. What? Actually, I had an idea for you is like, <laughs> um, I'm always thinking of like cool ideas, like for events and things. I think it'd be fun to promote more creativity in others as well and do like in a, a local voices, like bake, uh, no, not bake off, cook off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think bake offs get a little uncomfortable eventually. It's just so much sugar, you know? And like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think a cook off where we can have a prize, like we'll, we'll come up with the prize, but then we could have like a team of. Uh, basically judges like yourself um, and and maybe like um, some celebrity judges or whatever but basically I think it'd be a fun I'm all about promoting more competitions that's mm-hmm. kind of what we figured out in the last podcast is like that's the, the, the future is like we need to become more creative to express ourselves in all in this world where everything runs by itself and people mm-hmm. do everything for us we need to find ways of expression and one great motivator to get into action on that is prizes right mm-hmm. so not that this is creative, but like my sister was like, hey, we're doing this March Madness bracket. And I was like, oh my God, I don't care. But then I got slowly, not, I'm so stupid that I'm saying this is creative, but like I got slowly into the process and I was like, I already started it. But I was like, oh, there's a prize. I was like, okay, actually, let me like go and, and finish this up. But like, imagine that was like painting where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. someone invites you to this event where there's painting and there's a competition mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't really paint. But then they're like, just come or it's like, it's like, a, it's free or it's like convenient. And then suddenly you get into it. And you get excited. Even if you lose, you like there's there's something at stake. It's fun. So I think right. the future is like promoting more competition. So I think cooking competition. That's something I would love to brainstorm with you on. Is like you know having you know us kind of run with that. I would love to do a cooking competition, and I would love. I mean, I would love to organize it for you. Yes, I want to work with you. On and that. but I really want to focus on uplifting the black chefs that are in Miami that don't get uplifted. Um, there's so much talent here. Black-owned restaurants really need to be supported, and I want to do it with the black and brown. I really do. Um, there was a, I think Resi did a huge drive-in experience with these local restaurants in, in Manor. They're doing it this weekend. And I looked at the roster, and I'm like, where are the black-owned restaurants? Like, I think they, they featured one, but there's so many more that they're just not highlight, highlighted mm. here. But I would love to do that, but yeah. I, I want to focus on... So would that be a requirement, or could we just like on the DL invite mostly? Should, I mean, should that be a requirement? Of my, it's my requirement, but okay. it could be on the DL. Like, <laughs> it's my requirement, but we can literally just bring in as much diversity. Yeah, we I mean, can. what would we title it basically? I mean, we can, we can come up later unless it pops in your head right now. Right, and I would bring in. Um, you should interview him, the hungry black man. Okay. He's he's a food critic. Oh yeah. Um, and he focuses on um, highlighting black owned businesses. And he has a huge following. Um, his name is Star. Shout out to Starrick Smith. I really like the work that he does. Um, but you should interview him okay. and talk. Bring him in, and he'll just yeah. He'll unload. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He yeah. He yeah. knows all the mama papa places that are just don't get highlighted. People don't know about. He's like really really. He's he does his research. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, so I think cooking competition is great. Just kind of uh, motivate more people. I would love it for it to be yes. Like we invite top chefs, but also for. Uh, for the for the public to be able to kind That'd of really get nice. involved, yeah. Because I was curious to ask you, what's one way that we can help motivate or get more people to cook? Like, you know, what what is what do you think will change that and help motivate people to cook more? I think people are motivated. I mean, this pandemic helped motivate people yeah, to cook. Truth. You know, because they had no other choice. Because we can go anywhere, so it's like we've got to cook at home. So, I think that pressure. I mean, I think people are already there right now. I think. When people know where food, where their food comes from, it really motivates them to cook. Right. I think that's what it is. That's one of the main focuses. Like if they really know where the food 
who the farmer is, um, where it was imported from, you know, where the gardens are. I just, it's, it's something about knowing where the food come from, where the food comes from that really like brightens my soul. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, if you go to a farmer's market and, and you're having a conversation with this woman that's harvesting kale or, or, or herbs and, and she sells you these beautiful vegetables, you want to go home and cook it right away. Yeah. You know? It takes time though. It like, does. It, it takes a lot of time to go to these markets. You know, I don't, so I'm, like the, I'm like the average person I'm lucky enough to live near Whole Foods, right? Yeah, you're close. So I bike over, get my ingredients for the chili. It's all organic. But yeah, for me to go out to a market is like a whole other, it's like a, it's like an event for me. Like, right. It's, like, it's I not think, something I'd pass by in right. the day to day. If people don't, I think if people were, if the convenience of the food coming to them, if there were more co-ops, that, there's some co-ops out there that they do these food shares where you they deliver the organic vegetables to you and you have to look them up online because they're, they're around in Miami. And, and they come, or they have a pickup location twice a week where you can pick up right. all these vegetables as produce. Um, if there were more of those or, or, where there's, or delivery options where it's, the delivery cost isn't so expensive, I think people would be more motivated to cook as yeah. well. I think one key thing is going to just people hosting more. And that, that's where COVID hurt that. But what I'm saying is when you host a dinner party once a week, which was one of my like goals to have be one of my habits, mm-hmm. which led to this podcast, was you kind of, I mean, it's one thing to cook for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And there's one thing to cook for other people. Mm-hmm. And that is just so much more exciting and fulfilling. And you always end up with leftovers usually. But when you cook for others, it really challenges you to create and, and to kind of mm-hmm. develop your special sauce, right? right? So I think just people need to start waking up to inviting others for dinners, you know, eventually, you know, with COVID over and everything, but it's going to be dinner parties are key. And I think I, I remember in San Francisco, I had a great roommate and he was an amazing chef, but he wasn't, he worked at this tech job and he didn't need to be, go make money in the industry, but he loved cooking so much that his whole day would be about going out to the market, going here, going here. Like he cooked all day long and all the friends would all gather and eat. And it was just so heartwarming, and I think that is just admirable. Um, Having somebody um, come to your house for a dinner party and inviting anyone in your home to sit down with you to break bread, break bread is one of the most honorable things that someone can do um, for another person. You know, it's just something about that comfort and giving and serving another person and making them happy, make their bellies full. It's a beautiful thing. And I think dinner parties are just, I love dinner parties. They don't even have to be so formal, but it's its a special thing when someone comes and invites you yeah. over like, and I felt like you called me last week and we we're talking about this chili and I just, I didn't know how to tell you, I cannot eat this chili today. <laughs> And then finally I said, I was like, you know what? I don't want him cooking chili. Because, you know, he, you said you would, it takes you four hours or three hours to make your chili. and But I thought that was just so warming. I love that concept as we, we have a conversation over a bowl of chili. You know, I think yeah. that's beautiful, you know? Yeah. So, and of course I would eat it, but. In the future. Does, yeah. uh, does Rick Ross eat chili? <laughs> I think so. I don't know if I've made, I've made him chili before. The last thing I cooked for him was a really great chunky lobster and scallop bisque. Oh my God. I saw you have a lot of seafood dishes on your Instagram, yeah. which everyone should follow. It's got great ideas on it. I love seafood um, and you know yeah. I cook pretty good seafood too, but 
I'd say the chili is like my little special sauce. It's like my pride because it takes me so long, but it's also so shareable, mm -hmm. which is why I do it. It's also eat it for lunch with like an Absolutely. fried egg on top. I but, do um, gumbo a lot. Do you go, do gumbo? I did. I used to. Then I realized. Um, I think the shrimp. I I didn't like. For me, I, I wanted when I eat shrimp, I want to like have really fresh shrimp. You know, almost like it's oysters or something. Like when I put the shrimp in the gumbo. I guess you could put chicken as well, but I just didn't appreciate the shrimp as much the way I was cooking it. It really wasn't a very good combo. Were you putting the shrimp in at the end? Um, no. That's probably why. Yeah. Because if you put the shrimp in the beginning of your gumbo, it's going to turn into like a Well, no, it wasn't piece. the first thing I would throw in, no. Yeah, um, you have to put, the shrimp literally should be the last thing. Should la okay, I think I was putting them too early. Yeah, um, it should be the last thing because you, you don't want it to, because it'll turn into goo if it's sitting in, in there for hours, you know, shrimp, right. but... I um, mean, you don't have to put shrimp in gumbo either. So no, a lot of gumbo is what sausage and like chicken. And it's, stuff. it's like everything. It's chicken sausage. Right. You have to have andouille sausage. You have to have some type of sea, like a, a crab or, or something in there. But there's so many recipes for gumbo. Uh, there's a gumbo's and herbs that I love. It's just a lot of herbs: yeah. carrot top, beet tops, mm. um, collard greens, kale. Um, God rest her soul, Leah Chase. She that was her rest. It's her recipe in New Orleans. She was the queen of Creole cuisine. Okay. So yeah. do you like doing, like, do you travel? When you travel, obviously, it's very exciting to, like, do food tours. and, and Yeah, just, like, I haven't done any places. in a year, of course. Right. But um, but that's one of my favorite. And in, in the U.S., it's interesting because you could find, you can taste the entire world by just going to the neighborhoods in your in your cities. Right. But as far as food, you don't need to travel. There's so many restaurants in Miami popping up all the time. Mm -hmm. What's the last one that you were really impressed by and that you ate at recently? Um... Where do I go? I just had a birthday, and I went to Carbone, and I went to Coat Korean Steakhouse. Yeah. Both of them were delicious. Coat was really amazing. They had a, a scallion salad that I truly, thoroughly enjoyed. Scallions, okay. It was like scallion salad. Yeah, it was scallion. It was like, but it's like it's the Asian scallion. They're like the garlic scallions, mm. um, and I think they sear them a little bit, and then they toss them in like a sesame oil. Mm. Um, and there's a few other things with it, but I really enjoyed that with my noodles and, and the steaks were fabulous. Okay. And I went to Carbone as well, the Italian restaurant, but I really, really enjoyed Coke. Okay. So as far, I'm kind of curious about, so obviously you, you have, you, you live a very varietous lifestyle in terms of the different dishes that you're always creating. Like how routine are you in terms of the other areas of your life? Are you a routine person? Or are you kind no, of... I'm all over the place. Yeah. Right? I'm so just you, like, you have a big like... tolerance for... <laughs> Chaos, which like is like, admirable, because like I I'm a little more like my dad. I like can't that. deal with the chaos anymore. I'm like, because I'm a scatterbrain, so I just I do like routine now. But I used to be just like. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, my, was, no day is different. Well, you were I serving. Get bored with that. You were like in, yeah, I'm in the serving industry and, and serving other people, and it was always something different and exciting every single day. Yeah. Um, but you know, my routine now, um. And this has been for the last, I don't know, 10 years. It's been pretty, like, if I'm not cooking, it's like I wake up, I do my gratitude meditation, um, I read something spiritual, I listen to something spiritual um, before I start my day, period. Okay. I have to. Like, that's a, like a really just non-negotiable. I have to do that every single morning. Um, and then I try and get a little bit of fitness in, walk my dog. Um, and then get my day going. But I think that just one thing that I, I have to do that every morning really sets the course right. of how my day 
goes. I think that's what makes you a successful person. I think yeah. that that's very important how you start your engine, you know? Yeah. It's very important, and I think that it's admirable. I think everyone who doesn't have a morning habit should just, you know, find one. You definitely should have a morning <laughs> habit. Yeah, because it literally sets your tone for the rest of the day. Exactly. Um, you know? It's the number one thing you can fix in your life if, if you're wondering. Try not to get on. Like, people roll over and look at Instagram. You have to, like... And I've been guilty of that, just rolling over, looking at yeah. social media, and just really, now it's, I roll over and I put in my gratitude meditation immediately, mm. you know? I roll over and check Instagram, and then I do the gratitude. <laughs> I think I I, kind of I've pretty, done it a couple what times. What I do is like, yeah. I just like... I think I've done that I check a couple out, times, yeah. I, I check out the world, what's going on. And right, of I, course, and yeah. I put it all away, and then I get like zen, like yogi for like three, four hours. I mean, that's probably too much, and I should serve the world more, doing more stuff, but... I like, I, I met, I, I don't know. I do, I work out and I just get breakfast and most of the morning is just like being out, doing stuff, errands, whatever. Um, but yeah, either way, whatever, whatever time it comes in your morning, it's like one of the most important things. Um, so speaking of Miami, this is Miami podcast. What is uh, like your favorite thing about Miami? Why do you love Miami? I love the, the, just the influence of all the different cultures of Miami. I do love that. And I love the weather. <laughs> It's the weather. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to live. Um, it's a beautiful place to live. It's colorful. Um, it's fun. You can find your peace in, in certain places. You don't have to do the party thing. That's true. You know, I just did. I went to, um, this was a few weeks ago. We went all the way down to Homestead and I did like a cacao ceremony meditation with some friends. Yeah. And that was really cool. So you could just find. I've done that. What was it like? It's, you know, you're in this circle and you're drinking, you're praying over this, this raw cacao that they make. There's no, like, anything in it. There's no, like, drugs or anything right. in it. Um, and we prayed to different directions of the winds. And we, we drank our cacao and then went into the sound bath meditation. Right. And it was beautiful and healing. Is that Emily Garth? Emily Garth? I think she does those, too. I forgot her name. But you're drinking the chocolate. Yeah, we drank the, cho- you drank I didn't the know, chocolate. I know the chocolate plant is, like... It's very... It's medicinal. It's, it's like strange texture. Um, like it's, it's wet, but it's like it's also like a chunk. But then... So I'm curious what you were drinking if it wasn't it was like, chocolate milk or something. Like. It was cacao. It was like melted cacao. So it was... It's, it was very the, dark? It was all it, dark? Yes. Was, it's in the rawest form. So it was like a dark, dark cacao. They melted and then add some um, water. Um, okay, the and you water, drink it yeah. like a cocoa. It's like drinking. So you do cocoa powder and put water in it and then drink it. Right, but it it's not cocoa powder. It's extremely. It's like the purest form of chocolate that you can have. Um, it's so super bitter. So you can eat, add like yeah. honey if you want to it, but it's super bitter. But I just felt like a like a crazy release. It was in, insane. It was. Yeah. But I love doing things like that. I find these type of things. That's what I love about Miami because you can find. There's no limit. We're the no cultural limit. hub of the world. Yeah, to be honest, in terms absolutely. Of variety. And everybody is coming. And I thought about relocating to Los Angeles at one point, and I'll probably get a place out there because for me, work-wise, there's some great work out there mm. for me. I just did that TV show, um, but I probably still have my main place here in Miami because. And everyone's coming here. You have, you know, the whole tech hub. You know, people are moving from San Francisco, from New York. Um, Wall Street's moving here as well. They're just finding. Yeah. So we'll just, you We're, know, it's interesting. People here know it's it's only getting better, and that's why I was curious. Um, so who, based on the podcast, we highlight local characters, but also some of the great, you know, leaders or people that we can kind of like admire and learn from their story, get inspired. Who are who's one of your favorite women in Miami in terms of like someone you look up to or um, 
Or is she your best person in Miami at the interview that we can have on the podcast? Oh, gosh, it's hard because I don't... There's several You can women. say three, four. Like, just roll them off. You don't have to... You don't have to... That way, the faster you say them, the less it's like a competition. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, I don't want to be a, a competition. <laughs> no, you just say as many people as comes to mind. You know, Tracy Morning, um, Barbara Becker, um, and there's the, the, the new mayor. Yeah. Um, you definitely have to... I mean, are you thinking about... You should get Daniela. Yeah, you have to get well, Daniela. Can you help me out? Because I emailed her, called her. <laughs> did no, you? I, did. I made my t- I, I made my reach outs. Yeah. You uh, may have to go to her to do the podcast. I'd be willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that a few times. Um, so. And there's a woman here that's fantastic, and she's a friend as well. Her name is Dawn Dixon. She has a, a tech company, um, Popcom. It's actually a their vending. It's like their new solution, um, vending machines. And okay. I saw that. Oh, she was on. Um, she was on Shark Tank, right? No, she was on... Yeah, uh, she was interviewed with Kevin O'Leary. And Damon John, right? You you worked with... with yes, I'm, I'm friends with Damon as well. Okay. But she is fantastic. You have to okay. get her on. And she's a... She's, she's Miami-based? Yes. She's bi-coastal, but she was here. Okay. She had a, she started a company called Flat Out of Heels years ago, oh. and it was, she created a solution for women that were going, like going to a club. Like you'd be out at a club and your feet were killing you because you have on these... Yeah. Six inch heels or four inch heels I, or whatever. I, don't know. I can't I can't relate. I don't think you relate to that. But she created these flat these flat shoes yeah. where they're foldable and they put, you can put them in oh, your purse. That's genius. Yeah. Yes. So women wouldn't take off their shoes and be walking barefoot like you see sometimes. I've seen that, yeah. You've seen it plenty of times. And she created that that um company several years ago. So she's a serial entrepreneur and I think she'd be a great person to have on here. Okay. All right, last question. If I was gonna have one dish from you I, after my research, I would request some sometime in my life, you know, maybe my last meal. Uh, what is it? The the Ross chop? Is it like the 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 the, um, the lamb chop, right? With like organic grass fed lamb chop. Is that is that your idea or his idea or like? That's his thing. He loves my lamb chops. Oh, but yeah. I would I would choose. You want me to choose or you? No, just like for me, I that's like. For example, I'm very routine, so I have like I eat really healthy, a lot of seafood, but like I only eat red meat like once a week. So if I'm gonna eat red meat, it's usually at a restaurant or like right. really awesome. Like like I want to go all in. That's why if I'm gonna eat red meat, I want I would love for Amaris to be like to to do that dish. That's right. why I picked that. Dish. Oh, okay. So we'll do it yeah, one day yeah, then for sure. And we'll then, get you uh, your lamb chops. We also do uh, an uh, All Saints Day barbecue. Everyone who's on the show. Um, we do a barbecue every to start the season of the podcast after Halloween, All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a barbecue where all the all the guests and leaders come together and have a dinner. We're gonna do it in the botanical garden. Um, I we, just did something with them. They're amazing. Last Sandy, week. Sandy, the director, was on the podcast. Well, she, I just literally had a conversation with Sandy. She's fantastic. She's amazing. I did a thing with Whisper and Angel. We did a like a brunch. She's throwing so many more events there at, yeah. at night too, and and outdoor music. Yeah. So you know that venue is amazing. It's for so like, beautiful. So it's going to be the barbecue. Mm-hmm. There's actually only one more spot for a guy left this season because I'm trying to equalize it. Twelve guys, twelve women, mm-hmm. every season. So there's only one spot left for a guy. Sucks for them, but there's <laughs> there's definitely a lot of you know room for uh, you know all the awesome people that you mentioned. So okay. Uh, but that that barbecue, I'd love to have you involved with that. Okay. Um, and we'll keep brainstorming how to get America healthier. And I totally agree that, you know, it's going to take grow- organic food going to the these in- communities. These yes, communities. absolutely. It might even be like Damon John or it's going to have to be some business behind it as well mm-hmm. um, that's profitable. So, right. Um, but that's probably what I think is most important. I think that 
it's great if you yeah you know that you're that you're aware of that and I think yeah, absolutely you can make a huge difference in the world focusing on that thank you so much thanks for coming thanks I had a lot for of fun. having me oh my god I loved chatting with you oh <laughs> so sad it's done but Aww. I know you gotta go see y'all later alligator yeah.